importance of both budgeting and evaluation in fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Eric Dauber. Eric is a longtime member of the faculty at the Fundraising School. He's a nationally sought-after fundraising consultant and a leader in the Fundraising Effectiveness Project. Eric, great to be with you on the Fundraising School's podcast. Bill, thanks for having me. I'm excited today to be talking about the, the latest edition of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising. Indeed. Eric is the author of Chapter 15, Budgeting and Evaluation in Fundraising of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition that came out in 2022. And Eric, you know, fundraisers are highly relational people. They love to spend their time with donors. And talking about budgeting and evaluation maybe can be like talking to our kids about eating their spinach. And yet, this is a highly important function to both budget and evaluate correctly. What are some of those overall thoughts and guidance that you have for fundraisers on these important topics? Now, it's great to be here today to talk about uh, Chapter 15 in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising. I have to say, as the youngest son of a librarian, this is my third uh, copy that I've owned. And you can see that I've dog-eared it all the way through. So uh, it, thanks again for having me today, Bill, as we talk about planning and budgeting and evaluation and fundraising. You know, I think one of the things you point out is that as fundraisers, we are often busy building relationships. We are often busy doing the good work of raising more money for our mission. And because we're out talking to people, we often miss key steps that might help us raise more funding. And that's really what chapter 15 of the book is all about. It's about planning, it's about budgeting, and it's about making sure that what you're doing is actually working. So in the planning part, we talk about, you know, how can you be a proactive leader and manage up and lead up in fundraising with your senior leadership staff at your nonprofit organization, helping explain to people like your board members and your senior leadership about you know, why investing in fundraising is, is worthwhile and how it's often the highest return on investment program that you have in your nonprofit organization. We talk about things like uh, you know, net fundraising return and how to show the value of your work. And we also talk about things like uh, indirect costing which uh, often as fundraisers, uh, it's easy to say, you know, do we really want to show the full cost of fundraising? And the answer is a profound yes, because when you show the full cost of fundraising and you do it properly, as we talk about in the chapter uh, and at the fundraising school, you also talk about the full cost of your programs in their totality. So you learn how to you know, talk about what is the true cost of your after-school program or your tutoring program for kids or your workforce development program or whatever your programs that you're operating are at your nonprofit. We show you in the chapter how to plan and budget and you know do things like time studies uh, and account for indirect costs. And while these things don't seem very exciting uh, to fundraisers oftentimes, what they do is they empower us to do great work in the coming budget period. A lot of times, you know, it's, it's a month before the budget's due and we kind of put our budgets together and we raise everything by 3%. It's easy to just do incremental fundraising budgeting. But what we really talk about in the book is how can you make budgeting part of your fundamental planning process so that you can raise more money next year, do profound uh, paradigm shifting programming as needed to do things like uh, cultivate new diverse audiences or populations that maybe you're trying to connect with. Um, raise money for that new innovative program that you're trying to start coming out of COVID. Uh, you know, we talk about these things in the chapter and, you know, focusing on long-term inputs and the value of long-term inputs. For example, one of the things we talk about in budgeting is how a lot of times we look at budgets as kind of a single year process, whereas fundraising, if you invest this year, often has multi-year deliverables. 
in terms of its effect and benefits for fundraising. A donor you get this year, you might think of them as, hey, we, we made the investment and we got the donor this year. But if you're able to keep that donor two years, three years, five years, 10 years, turn them into a planned giving donor down the road, you can see how budgeting effectively in year one to acquire a new donor has a profound effect on this year, but it also has a profound effect on future years. So we talk about how to talk about that value uh, in the chapter, because again, a lot of times we're looking at periods that are very short in our budgeting uh, and, not, and not noticing the long-term benefits. And so budgeting, not just for this year, but in terms of that long-term perspective, because fundraising development happens over the long-term. You know, Eric, we, our friends in the private sector would say you need to spend money to make money. In fundraising, you need to spend money to raise money. And what approach should a fundraiser have in terms of interacting with their colleagues, whether it's the CEO, if they're in a nonprofit that's large enough to have a CFO, obviously the board should be approving the budget over time in terms of advocating for expenses to support fundraising. What does that look like ideally for a fundraiser? Yeah, really great point. You know, I like to say that budgeting starts long before you're, you're putting pen to paper. Uh, and, the, and the reason I say that is, is because board members need to understand that one of the highest investment uh, returns you can make at a nonprofit organization is almost always in fundraising. At most nonprofit organizations, the highest ROI activity they do is literally fundraising. Well, showing that it, it is not a cost center, but a revenue center uh, in terms of generating revenue for your nonprofit, in terms of uh, generating high return on investment activities, um, educating your board that fundraising is a worthwhile investment, that fundraising costs are not a dirty word. Uh, there's something that we should be proud for as we're making investments. I always say if there's ever anything in your budget you're not proud of, change it. Uh, but fundraising investment is an activity that we should be proud to make, and we should be proud to invest in our, our fundraising program. So educating your board on that. I think working with your finance officers, I, I, I did a really interesting project with a hospital recently, and uh, they were trying to do a large capital campaign. And one of the things they said is, you know, should we invest in fundraising? And I said, well, you don't have to. You could do your business operations model and, and raise $18 billion, provide $18 billion worth of healthcare services, or you could invest $50 million in uh, your fundraising program and uh, raise all the money you need. So they found, uh, they eventually saw fit to invest the 50 million in fundraising over several years so that they could raise the capital that they needed rather than do it through business operations. Those kinds of conversations, if, if you're a $500,000 nonprofit, how long is it gonna take you based on the margin of the programs and services offered that you, that you offer through your nonprofit to raise the money you need for that big aspirational thing that you have or to support your annual operating funds? And when you, when you compare those two things, the business model of your nonprofit operations and your sustainability programs, revenue generating programs, key to many nonprofit organizations with the return that you can generate through uh, in, you know, responsible and intelligent fundraising investing, uh, you'll see that uh, most nonprofits choose to invest in fundraising and the returns uh, can be profound. And Eric has mentioned this phrase a couple of times, return on investment. And Eric goes into uh, great detail in the chapter on how the math works for return on investment and cost to raise a dollar, which are kind of those two key evaluation assessment uh, metrics that we can use for fundraising, especially for the CEO or the board members who might be skeptical about spending money. If we're going to spend X on fundraising, how do we know we're going to get X plus in our fund development effort? And there are ways to measure that. Eric, again, without taking a deep dive into the math, because that's in the chapter, can you just talk, you know, kind of conceptually about the importance of 
you know, these two equations, return on investment and cost to raise a dollar? Yeah, really great question, Bill. And, you know, these questions, these uh, terms are often used interchangeably. And they really are kind of a, a yin and yang, I'll say, of the same of the same idea. What I talk about in the chapter is how to how to figure out the cost to raise a dollar. I also show you how to um, generate what's called net return on investment in your fundraising returns. And I talk about a, a philosophical idea in the chapter also about trying to use the language of fund, uh, fundraising return on investment, because when you when you use that language with uh, CEOs, finance directors, boards, you begin to change the the thinking around your center as a revenue generating center rather than as a cost center. Um, so we do, we, we go into details on those equations. We show you how to figure out the math in, in relatively simple terms. Uh, and uh, and there's, a, there's a ton in there in terms of, you know, everything from indirect costing to, you know, how to do a time study, but to your point, how to figure out net return on investment from fundraising is a key point in the chapter. And Eric, another way these metrics come in handy is when people want to advocate for additional fundraising staff. And you know, one thing we talk about at the fundraising school is, is a way to look at that with, again, your CEO, with your board is to say, here's what we're doing. We're having success, but we've identified funders we can't get to. We've identified donors we can't get to. We've identified a vehicle we could do more in, let's say, digital fundraising, if only we had another person. And folks are going to say, okay, what's that going to cost? Salary benefits, other direct expenses. And how do we know we're going to exceed that over time? Say 12, 18, 24 months later, we're going to meet and exceed what we're spending. Those two metrics, return on investment and cost to raise a dollar, uh, are your friends in helping make that case. That's exactly right. I mean, our goal is obviously to, to move more mission through the work of our nonprofit organization. And fundraising is a tool to do that work. So as we explain these ideas and explain these concepts to everybody from our CEO to finance director to board members through the year, we position our department to then do the good work of responsible fundraising budgeting when the time comes to, as you say, Bill, if you wanna start or improve a digital fundraising program next year or improve your annual campaign or do some direct mail or do more face-to-face -face work with your major donor populations, um, that, that way you've positioned your organization to get the resources you need to do that good work when the time comes. Now, a couple of times you've also mentioned indirect. And so again, a direct expense is an expense that exists because the program exists. Let's just say it's a youth basketball league, the cost of the basketballs. Uh, an indirect expense is an expense that exists because the agency exists. This would be the cost of the building where the basketball league is played because the building is going to have a cost whether we have a basketball league or not. Eric, as you know, a lot of donors don't get excited about only funding our light bill. Some of them do. Our closest donors, they really get it. But most donors, they want to see those kids running up and down playing basketball, right? And again, Eric goes into great depth in the chapter on the math on how this works. But can you, again, just kind of speak conceptually about what it looks like to help fold some of our indirect costs into our programs as direct costs. So when our funders are providing that gift for a direct expense, they're actually helping us pay some of our light bill. Yeah, really great. Again, fantastic question, Bill, as usual. Uh, you know, the thing we're trying to do in our program costs is, you know, I wanna know how much does it cost to send a kid to day camp? Or how much does it cost to serve a patient at the hospital or, you know, through your hospice, whatever your organization is. And when I, when I, when I understand those costs fully, I can be more prepared to fund them. So for example, if you think it costs $300 to help you know, send a kid to day camp, uh, just to use a human services example, and the real costs are actually $400 a day to send the kid because you're including indirect costs, which should be included in that, in that uh, costing, 
you can say to a donor, it costs $400 a day to send a child to day camp. We charge our children $300 if that's what your fee is. Um, but uh, you can really talk about what your true costs are when you include indirect costs. And you know, to your point, I'm doing this, uh, this webinar from my home office. And in my home office, I have heat and I have this office space and I'm sitting in a chair at a desk and all those expenses are there whether we do this webinar or not. So we talk about indirects and explain them in, in ways that are easy to understand. So you can account for true costs of your programming. And again, we want you to do this not just in fundraising, but in your overall nonprofit organization. So the lessons in chapter 15 really transpose into the other parts of the organization as well. And, and by the way, finance directors love it when uh, fundraising directors and, and vice presidents or fundraising leaders understand how to budget because they can become team members and advocates in the process. You know, we, we talk about FASB or federal accounting standards uh, in the chapter, only this much, but uh, you know, enough to where fundraisers can talk intelligently about uh, nonprofit accounting and fundraising really in just a few pages. And Eric touched on the idea of kind of per person expense or per unit expense. When you're able to legitimately fold in some of those indirect expenses, your rent and your mortgage, your uh, phone bill, your light bill, things of that nature, and divide by the number of participants, you've got that per person cost. Eric, that is very compelling when we're doing our fundraising case statement, because I may never meet the specific child who's playing basketball, but if you make that request to me, would you please fund a child that, to use your example, $400? That's not a big difference in asking me for the $300. The indirects are folded in, and I'm still seeing that kid running up and down the court. I'm seeing that impact as a donor. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, one of the things we teach at the fundraising school is sometimes you can make a dollar ask and sometimes you can make a program ask. So, for example, if I, if I say, you know, would you be willing to fund a kid to play basketball this summer down at the human service, you know, down at the gym? Uh, a donor will often say yes, and then they'll go, how much is that? Uh, and, you know, being able to say it's $422 uh, is a really powerful message that indirects bring into the equation. And, and again, when you're writing a grant proposal or asking any type of donor for funding to have the true and actual cost of the program, whether it's fundraising, whether it's uh, any program we're offering through your organization, uh, we show you how to do that in the chapter. And it's, it's powerful information for you, for your organization, for your donors, for your nonprofit. It's a great way to meet donors where they're at. If they want to make an unrestricted gift, we can use that money anywhere. If they want to make a restricted gift just to the Youth Basketball League, to, to use the example we've been using throughout this conversation, they can do that and you can still have some of those indirect expenses covered for. Uh, you can also help explain how you're spending money to raise more money. All of that information on program planning related to budgeting and evaluating your fundraising is described wonderfully in a very accessible, easy to use way by Eric Daubert in chapter, in chapter 15 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition, Budgeting and Evaluation for Fundraising. Information about the textbook is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. And that's where you're gonna find information about our public courses, including principles and techniques where we teach these budgeting techniques in great detail. And all of our courses are there. Our four certificates are present uh, at that site as well. Now, we can bring training directly to you, to your nonprofit, your association, your region. We have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts, again, all on our website at philanthropy.iupy.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Thanks so much to our guest today, Eric Daubert. Our producers today are Mike Anthony, 
and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Sanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.